global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. Stocks very close to the lows of the session. We've got just over an hour to go before the closing bell on a Friday here. Stocks falling in the worst sell-off since Britain voted to leave the European Union. This after a Federal Reserve official signaled more willingness to raise interest rates. The S&P 500 index is down 2% now, tumbling 44 points to 2137. NASDAQ is down 107, dropping 2.1%. Dow Industrials down 321 points, a drop of 1.7%. Tenure down 21 30 seconds, yield there 1.67%. Gold down 770 the ounce to 1330, a drop of six tenths of 1%. And uh, West Texas Intermediate Crude down 3.6%, 45.91 a barrel on WTI. I'm Charlie Pellet, and that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. You're listening to Taking Stock with Pim Fox and Kathleen Hayes on Bloomberg Radio. Have you been drinking coconut water? Well, if you're like many of the consumers in the developed world, you've never been keener than you have now on coconut water. Starbucks, for example, wants the uh, tropical fruit in order to use it for its milk to make lattes. And uh, the celebrity Rihanna promotes its water as a trendy sports drink. But will there be any coconuts left to actually provide that all that customers want? Ezra Fieser is our Caribbean correspondent for Bloomberg News and joins us now from Santo Domingo, the Dominican Republic. Ezra, thank you very much for being here and thank you for your story. Uh, tell us the details of the coconut business. I'm glad to be here. Sure, uh, in the last decade in the United States and Europe, we've seen an explosion in the demand for coconuts. As you mentioned, coconut water is an increasingly trendy drink. Um, coconut milk, coconut creams are in demand. Even the husks from coconuts are being used for um, car parts and, and seats and vehicles for the, the filling. So there's been a real explosion in the demand worldwide for um, coconut products. Meanwhile, in the Caribbean, um, they've never really rebounded from when the, um, the demand was lower. Uh, they've struggled with natural disasters and insect um, that spreads what's called lethal yellowing disease that's, that kills off the fruit and has killed entire plantations, and farmers just haven't replanted. Um, so they're not able to keep up with the demand that um, we've seen increasing in the last decade. But they could um, they could start planting more, and I'm assuming as the prices rise, the incentive is there. It's not like um, – you know, the bees that are dying off or bananas that are some day never going to be uh, possible to grow again. It's just that they haven't really been on their A game lately, right? Yeah, well, there's two things that uh, in play here. First is this lethal yellowing disease, yellowing disease is pretty devastating um, across the Caribbean, and they really haven't figured out a way to replace the current, what's called the tall Atlantic palm, with another varietal that, that yields the same fruit. Um, and even when they do replant a, 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 a palm tree, it takes about seven years for it to start producing coconuts. So there's a delay there between the time that they replant these plantations and they actually begin to yield fruit. And then the other thing is for some of these farmers that have these small um, farms and they're contributing, they're buying. We visited a, a distributor up in north coast of the Dominican Republic who 
who bought from local farmers, and he told us that you know the price has increased, so they're receiving more for and they've planted less, but their income is the same. So there's really no incentive um, for them to to cut down their trees and replant or expand their plantations because their income is the same due to the increase in prices. Ezra, is it possible that other markets will fill the gap? Because, as you note, the coconut is not indigenous to the Caribbean. That's true, and it's not one of the largest uh, producers in the world. In the Asian countries, Philippines, um, India, Indonesia are the world's leaders. And across the globe, we have seen in the last 20 years, 10 years, um, a increase in production and um, the amount of an increase in the amount of land that's planted for coconuts. So. The people like Vitico, the producers of Vitacoco in the U.S., which consumers are certainly recognize, um, said that they have no no issues with, um, you know, sourcing their coconuts, and they're not worried about a worldwide shortage. I believe that the Vitacoco they source a lot of their coconut water from Brazil. Correct. That's correct. Actually, the story goes um, that the two founders of Vitacoco met two Brazilian women in a bar in Manhattan and asked them what they missed most from their home country, and they said the coconut water, and that's where the idea for um, Vitacoco was born, so they say. All right, Ezra, thanks very much. Awesome story, and Santo Domingo must be a sweet place to be as well. Ezra Fieser is our Caribbean correspondent in Santo Domingo, Dominican Republic, talking about the shortage in coconuts. The story has gotten a ton of hits on the website, so definitely check it out when you have a chance on Bloomberg.com. Let's go now to my favorite place in the entire world, Columbus, Ohio, where Mark Niquette, the government reporter for Bloomberg News, is standing by to talk to us about uh, what's going on in global politics. And, Mark, we're going to kick it off in China, reviving the heartland. What, what's going on uh, with China really coming here to buy stuff? Yes, we have a story up on the website by uh, my colleague, Andrew Maeda, uh, talking about how despite the fact that China is sort of uh, vilified on the campaign trail as sort of being an unfair trading partner and, you know, uh, manipulating currency and so forth, China has actually been uh, doing a lot of investing in the United States, and particularly here in Ohio, where I'm based. Uh, the story talks about how we have uh, there's a, uh, an old General Motors factory that used to make Chevy Trailblazers that shut down a few years ago, and uh, Chinese glass company Fuyao Glass has essentially taken over this plan, has, has brought in 1,400 workers to make automotive glass, and it's part of billions of dollars that uh, China has invested in Ohio and Michigan alone and across the U.S. in terms of uh, you know having an imprint and in, in, um, um, doing business here in the United States. I will tell you that my grandfather worked at that old General Motors factory in Columbus, Ohio, for like 30 years. Um, and we have a history in Ohio. I, I Obviously, I'm a Buckeye as well. I'm from Granville. We have a history in Ohio uh, of dealing quite well with foreign investment. I mean, I remember when Honda and the Japanese came into Marysville to put in a plant there, and um, we uh, we did all right with it. And now they're going to make the Acura NSX there, which is pretty sweet. Right, and that was a big deal at the time. Uh, former Governor Jim Rhodes uh, had a personal relationship with the Honda chairman at the time, convinced him to come to Ohio. It was their first sort of uh, non-Japanese uh, plant, and it's worked out great for uh, certainly Honda and for Ohio. It's a huge employer in central Ohio and for the state. Well, Mark, can you connect that with some of the political rhetoric that we've heard from both candidates? Because I imagine those voters also work at some of these plants. They sure do. And there's kind of a disconnect there because a lot of the rhetoric you hear on the on the campaign trail, particularly as it relates to trade, is how um, bad it's been for 
uh, workers and manufacturing in the states like Ohio and Pennsylvania. Um, you know, trade deals like NAFTA and, and the proposed TPP and are blamed for uh, jobs and companies leaving the state and country as opposed to, you know, foreign investment coming here. And, and then really that's sort of the pushback against, uh, you know, the criticism of trade deals, that it facilitates the kind of um, uh, foreign investment and uh, job creation uh, that's made possible by these trade deals. And, you know, it, it's, it's partly uh, the case that the candidates haven't reconciled that sort of dis- dis- distinction on the, on the trail. I mean, the voters in this cycle are very angry. You know, they're looking for somebody to blame because either they're unemployed or underemployed or their wages are stagnant. And it's easy to blame these trade deals and much harder to sort of push back and show what the value of these agreements are. Well, the concern, of course, that uh, Donald Trump, I guess, and Bernie Sanders uh, had for about the trade deals was really um, the balance, right? I mean, how many jobs have we gained compared to how many jobs have they gained? And I guess now Hillary Clinton is against TPP as well, since uh, that helps her get a few votes. But what, what about uh, let's shift and talk about um, more cons- more concerns that our uh, candidates have with international relations. What about Donald Trump's uh, deal with Vladimir Putin right now? I mean, he is getting slammed by Hillary Clinton and a lot of people in the media um, for saying that he thinks, what, uh, Putin is a better leader than Obama? Right. It's actually kind of a double whammy there um, in the the forum that was held on Wednesday um, regarding issues uh, pertaining to the commander-in-chief uh, and veterans. Uh, Donald Trump said both that he thinks, you know, Putin has been a great leader and, as you said, better than, than President Obama, but he also went on to uh, uh, complain about and, and, and almost disparage U.S. generals, saying that they've essentially been reduced to rubble under the Obama administration. So it's kind of this double whammy of, you know, not, not uh, defending United States uh, generals and praising a foreign adversary, Russia, and he's also given other interviews where he's sort of poo-poo the idea that, you know, Russia might be trying to uh, hack into or interfere with U.S. elections, you know, allegations that have been out there and concerns about foreign involvement. You know, Trump's tried to sort of, you know, suggest that might not be the case. And it's all sort of left, you know, Hillary Clinton in a position to say, you know, especially to other Republicans, look, you know, is this what you really want in your nominee that, you know, if a candidate, you know, even four or eight years ago had sort of praised Putin and disparaged the president of the United States, you would not see uh, a favorable reaction for sure. Thanks very much. Mark Niquette is our government reporter for Bloomberg News, coming to us from Columbus, Ohio. And you can follow Mark on Twitter at M. Niquette. This is Taking Stock. On go Buckeyes. Fox. There you go. Columbus, Ohio. You're familiar with Columbus, Ohio. O-H-I-O. What a great state. Yeah. And they also produced you. <laughs> well done. All right. I'm Pim Fox, my co-host Matt Miller. This is Taking Stock, and this is Bloomberg.